This creature from the dirt defied the everlasting holy God. Scripture is holy. It is sanctified, set apart from any and all other writings that we have ever had and will ever exist. Self-esteem, that is a satanic idea. You're not as important as you think you are. If you have no desire to know who God is, then can you even be sure that he knows you? The gates of hell itself, or the coronavirus itself, will not stand against Jesus building his church. This is what's wrong with the Christian church today. We don't know who God is. Give us a man who knows the truth. One man, Jew and Gentile, bond and free. One, there is no race in Christ Jesus. Oh, how a man needs to fear God that that man might cling to his word. Give us some preachers who aren't tripping over their skirt to get into the pulpit. What's wrong with you people? This is Matter of Theology, the place where theology matters because everything is a matter of theology. I'm Drew, your host, and I'm here with my co-host, Chris. And if you don't know, we are a podcast production that seeks to approach church and cultural issues from a biblical standpoint. We are on Patreon, so if you would like to partner with us, head on over to patreon.com slash theology and become a subscriber. A couple of announcements today, uh, a lot longer than usual. Uh, first, we are a part of Cruciform Ministries. Chris and I, we are a part of Cruciform Ministries, which is headed up by our brother, Brandon Scalf. Uh, there's lots of stuff going on with Cruciform. Uh, coming up, there is an online conference on postmillennialism. It's just a week away. Uh, a purchased victory is the theme of the conference, and it will feature speecher, speechers. <laughs> speechers, I can't speak tonight. Uh, It will feature speakers such as Jeff Durbin, Gary DeMar, Kenneth Gentry, Jeffrey Rice, and one of my personal favorites, Douglas Wilson. Uh, Also, if you have been wanting a seminary-level education, but you don't have that seminary-type money, check out the Cruciform Bible Institute. Get in touch with the director, Jared Ebert, and he can give you all the information on that. We are a part of the Christian Podcast community. If you would like more Christian podcasts, go check out christianpodcastcommunity.org. We, Matter of Theology, are doing a giveaway right now. We are going to be giving away to three winners a copy of John Owen's Mortification of Sin and The Death of Death in the Death of Christ. Three winners are going to receive both of those books. So if you go to podcasts, plural, podcasts.strivingforeternity.org slash John Owen, you will see all the ways that you can enter. And this giveaway is running until January 15th. And I'm oh, wow. put, yeah, and I'll put that link in the show notes. Also, if you would like to take a trip with Justin Peters to Israel, they have some slots available. The trip is from October 24th uh, through November 5th, 2021. You can get more information at israeltour2021.com. We'll put that in the show notes as well. But 
on today's episode, <clears throat> we reached back into our archives to revisit one of our most popular episodes and an episode that actually got us in trouble with the folks at the church we were attending. Uh, in the episode, Reckless Love, Reckless Worship, we set out to demonstrate the dangers of not just the song by Corey Asbury, Reckless Love, but the danger of movements such as Bethel. Uh, when you allow yourself and pastors, when you allow your congregation to sit under the music of groups like Bethel, IHOP Kansas City, Elevation, and Hillsong, just to name a few, you are introducing reckless forms of worship which is led by reckless theology and ultimately heretical theology. Yep. Now, uh, you don't have to listen to us very long to know that we are regulative principle guys. Okay? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. <laughs> uh, meaning we want all aspects of our lives and particularly our worship yeah. to be regulated by God's word. Now, to give some simple uh, definitions— the regulative principle of worship means that we want to worship God how God says he wants to be worshiped. The Amen. normative principle of worship says that since Scripture doesn't uh, exclusively forbid the type of worship I want to bring, I will then worship God not how he wants, but how I desire. So mm. on the surface— Normative worship does not appear to be contra scripture, meaning against scripture. Rather, it works around scripture in order for me to worship God how I want. The problem is that the root uh, is the elevation of self and what I want, which is con contra scripture, because scripture is all about God, not That's right. us. That's right. Now, the reason we bring up Reckless Love, Reckless Worship is because the song has, has made its way into the news again. Uh, only this time, it is looking to be made into a movie. Uh, so I sent, I, I, I saw this in an article. I sent it to Chris, and he got redder than a baboon's butt sitting on a hot stove. <laughs> Okay, uh, so right now I'm going to turn it over to Chris because I know he's got some opening remarks as well. Yeah, yeah. So uh, before we get into the actual topic um, on today's episode of Matter of Theology, there's uh, just like my brother stated, there, there's some needed and crucial groundwork I feel we need to cover. And um, and let me just say that I'm, I'm incredibly grateful to my, my co-host and the founder of Matter of Theology, uh, a, a true brother in Christ. Um, and our listeners um, for, for allowing us and allowing me to cover some foundational things before we really get into this. And, and this is a point of background. And for those who would attempt to be the quote unquote tone police for any and everything we say. Now, when Matter of Theology first started, we were just three guys with one microphone who wanted to address theological, cultural, and social issues from a biblical standpoint. The desire was and is to stand for and speak the truths found in God's word and apply them to all things. And, and, and I say that on the basis of uh, verses of scripture like 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 1 through 3, that says, To those who have received a faith of the same kind of ours by the righteousness of God our Savior, Jesus Christ, grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God. And of Jesus our Lord, seeing that his divine power has granted to us everything 
pertaining to life and godliness through the true knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and excellence. Again, that's 2 Peter 1, verses 1 through 3. Now, the goal and focus of matter of theology has always been to remain faithful to biblical truth, to pull no punches in that regard, to be careful to in not allowing an improper biblical hermeneutic or framework to creep in. God's word needs to be read, studied, and then contrasted with everything in our way of life. We are to be like the noble Bereans, and that that comes from Acts 17, verse 11, uh, when Luke pins these words, of course, inspired by the Holy Spirit, saying this, Now there were those more noble-minded than those in Thessalonica, for they received the word with great eagerness, examining the scriptures daily to see whether these things were so. Again, that's Acts 17, 11. So in doing so, this should, can, and will be a painful process for each of us as the truths found in God's word fly in the face of our flesh and our pride. And Hebrews, of course, details that out for us in, in Hebrews chapter 4, verses 12 and 13. For the word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword and piercing as far as the division of soul and spirit, both joints and marrow, and able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And there is no creature hidden from his sight, but all things are open and laid bare to the eyes of him with whom we have to do. That Again, that's Hebrews 4, 12 through 13. So as my brother stated, as of the recording of this episode, one of the most downloaded and popular episodes we have to date is the one entitled Reckless Love, Reckless Worship. This is also the one to date that has generated literal, visceral reactions from quote-unquote professing believers in the Lord Jesus Christ and even those who were leaders in the church. As I stated on our last episode and Drew just stated, I was called, yelled at, literally cussed out from a leader in the church who identified as Reformed. This man, a musician and a worship leader, was defending very passionately, very sinfully, might I add, Bill Johnson to someone who was a leader, myself, in the church we were a part of at that point because of the content in that episode. He was defending a false teacher using sinful language in a fit of rage to do so. Now, after that, there was a meeting called with some of the elders of the church, their wives, this person, his wife, his oldest son, and myself. And he was also using strong and coarse language there as well. He and his family made it clear that, quote, they were not going to be participating in a ministry that I was head over because of the views held and expressed in that episode, close quote. And that they were, quote, they wanted to be a part of a church where grace was shown to the immature and that we should be peacemakers. In fact, after that meeting is when the lead pastor and first among co-equals of this church met with both Drew and I and another elder of the church and said this. He made it clear. He said he was not going to allow a podcast to tear down what he had spent 10 years building. Close quote. To which I ask these questions. Who did the building? Why are people so threatened by truth and striving to be united? And why are they striving to be united with false teaching? Why are we not testing the spirits? Are we not to examine the scriptures? 
is not speaking the truth in love and warning those of false teaching and false teachers and protecting the purity of the gospel and the whole counsel of God, is that not grace? So let, let, let me just kind of kind of speak to this just for just a second when it comes to grace and peace and peacemaking. Because that's not, you know, they were taking some things out of context. It was the great J.C. Ryle who penned these words in a letter entitled Pharisees and Sadducees. He says this, and this is a little long, so stick with me. Quote, to keep gospel truth in the church is even of greater importance than to keep peace. The apostle Paul valued unity greatly as we know. Why? Because he dreaded false doctrine. He feared the loss of truth more than the loss of peace. Many people have a morbid fear of controversy. They would have said with Ahab that Elijah was a disturber of the peace. They would have thought that Paul at Antioch went too far. To maintain truth in the church, men should be ready to make any sacrifice to hazard peace, to risk dissension. They should no more tolerate false doctrine than they would tolerate sin. Peace without truth, listen to this, peace without truth is false peace. It is the very peace of the devil. Unity without the gospel is a worthless unity. It is the very unity of hell. Let us never be ensnared by those who speak kindly of it. False doctrine and heresy are even worse than schism. But what is schism? Is not false doctrine that rend the body of Christ or can the body of Christ be rend? If people separate themselves from teaching, which is inherently false and unscriptural, they ought to be praised instead of reproved. In such cases, separation is a virtue rather than a sin. He is schismatic who causes the schism. Unity, quiet, and order give beauty, strength, and efficiency to the cause of Christ, but even gold can be bought at a price too dear. Unity, which is obtained at the sacrifice of truth, is worth nothing. It is not unity that pleases God, period, close quote. That's J.C. Ryle from his letter, Pharisees and Sadducees. Martin Luther, the great German reformer, said, peace if possible, truth at all costs. Charles Haddon Spurgeon, the prince of preachers, said this, quote, we are to be first pure and then peaceable. Our peaceableness is never to be a, comp is never to be a compact with sin or in an alliance with that which is evil, period, close quote. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, when you had that phone call with that one objector, and by the way, he said there were several people who had an issue and shared his opinion wrong. Right. It was just him, because everyone else in the church loved that episode. Uh, and it's well, everyone odd. that said something to us. And if there was yeah. some someone that had a problem with it and they didn't come to us, they're in sin. Right. Yeah. Uh, but I, I did find it odd that that particular pastor uh, didn't even listen to the episode Correct. when it was the subject of a toddler-esque temper tantrum, okay? Yep. Uh, I know that there were numerous, numerous misrepresentations, uh, and when you listen to it, uh, the whole purpose is so that the objective third party can confront something that is being misrepresented, right? Right. That's just common sense wisdom. Right. But he said, you know, he didn't need to listen to it. He wasn't going to listen to it. Uh, but to touch on uh, some things of that phone call that you had, uh, 
you already said he was defending the canonic theology of Bill Johnson, which is against reformed theology. And he claims to be reformed. Uh, He was ignoring proper biblical hermeneutics. You mentioned other leaders in the church and in church history uh, and he's uh, in their teachings on the deity of Christ. And he replied, I don't care about church history, (laughs) but he did. He did affirm John Piper and he was adamant in saying that John Piper quote, gets it more right than the other guys. Right. Meaning guys like John MacArthur who are cessationists, but he says that John Piper gets it more right. Because while Piper admits that when he tries to speak in tongues, he's not actually doing it, Piper is viewed as giving more grace to the charismatic movement. Now, moving into the meeting that you and I had with that pastor and another elder, I was a little bit taken back when when he did say that he was not going to let a podcast tear down what he spent 10 years building because it's Christ that builds his church. Amen. Now, he may use you as a means to help build his church. That's right. That's right. But if you think that this is something that you built, then you probably need to humble yourself. uh, Before you're humbled. Seriously. Uh, Because if what we hear on the podcast, um, if we are saying something that is in accordance with God's truth and God's word— in order to make God great and teach people true biblical worship, then it will only end up edifying Christ's church, not destroying it. But all we did, this is really funny, all we did was affirm the position that the church took on Bethel and that particular song just a couple weeks before. Yep. All, all we did was back their decision. Right. So, so then this was what followed. That, that meeting, we were told that the podcast was not allowed to have any involvement with the church. Uh, we couldn't have people from the church on. We couldn't use the church to record because uh, at the time we, I had a mixer, the microphones, we would all we would meet at the church because that at a specific time because that was when we were all going to be there. We thought that was the only way we could do it. Yeah, that was the only way we could do it. Didn't know about Zoom, <laughs> you know, wish I did back then. Um and, but to to be to tell us that we can't record at the church is kind of strange because both of us, you and I, and our our other former co-hosts, we were serving almost every single week, Sundays and Wednesdays, and paying tithes, which helped pay for the building. Right. But I, I mean, we had I, I I at least I did. I had some great ideas for some episodes. Some mm-hmm. of the ladies, the the the. The night before we had that meeting, some ladies from our church said that if we wanted a break, they would record some episodes and call it Matter of Sheology, which I I thought was a great idea. But it was ironic that we were being told uh, that there could be no connection, no involvement with the church. But they, at the same time, were telling us what we could and could not do and how it should be run. And then... There were local people who came to visit the church because they heard of it on the podcast. You're right. welcome, by the way. Right, right. And they they would go down to talk to the pastor, and he would dismiss them to you, Chris, yeah. 
because just because they mentioned the podcast that they heard about the church on the podcast. So that was the point where I kind of started to take a step back and really analyzing things as it pertained to that leadership. Well, uh, that I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to shelve my, my initial thoughts. Um, uh, what I, what am I initially thinking? I, I mean, let me just say this as a pastor, if somebody comes up to and has a question, um, that, um, uh, that, 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 that men that are members of your church doing a podcast on, typically it's going to be questions about theology and uh, hello, the name of the podcast is matter of theology. And so, yeah, I, yeah. I, I mean, it was, it was definitely interesting, but you know, that, that look brother, that, that, that kind of speaks to where I was going next. And, you know, whenever, whenever we mention, um, uh, or deal with topics that have to do with Bethel, Hillsong, Elevation, and specifically how one in the church, how a professing believer in the Lord Jesus Christ worships, that it always results in some pretty interesting responses. In fact, you know, I, I posted this tweet <laughs> yeah, across my socials over the last week, and it garnered some very interesting and heartbreaking responses. And I said this, I said, Reckless Love is the most dangerous song to come out of the cult known as Bethel, quote-unquote, church. This song is poison wrapped in sweet biblical language. Pastor, if you're allowing your church to play this song and not actively warning with all within your care of its dangers, repent. And uh, th- there have been other posts made within the last week, uh, uh, last few days, in, in fact, from our brother, uh, uh, Pastor Costi Hinn and Dr. Owen Strand. Uh, that I've retweeted and posted, and there have been some comments and questions and and heartache, true heartache expressed over this issue. Now, the the goal of today's episode of Matter of Theology is to revisit the topic in the song. Uh, And as Drew stated at the top, um, if you haven't heard Reckless Love's Back on the Radar, as it's now going to be made into a movie. So uh, we're going to look at the song again. We're going to look at the words used. um, And then we're going to talk about uh, the theology behind it and the absolute danger and poison that it is to believers in the Lord Jesus Christ. This, along with the current milieu of circumstances that we've seen in 2020, I feel as though there's an even greater temptation for churches to launch themselves down the slippery and deadly slope of pragmatism and a desire to cater to sinners rather than to God in how he wants to be worshiped. And and getting into this conversation, uh, let me say first that my goal and my aim personally is to have two different voices. The great French reformer and theologian John Calvin said it this way. He said, quote, the pastor ought to have two voices, one for gathering the sheep and another for driving away wolves, period, close quote. Now, let me quantify that by saying this. I am not a pastor. I am not an elder or a leader in the church. I am am a depraved man, saved completely by the monergistic work of the will of the Father, the works of the Son, and the application of the Holy Spirit. I am a sinner saved by and being saved by his immense kindness and grace. God, through no action of my own other than the sin necessary that needs to be forgiven, has saved me. God, through no action of my own, has given me a love and desire for his word. Any authority that I or anyone heralding the word of God has is solely the word of God itself. My goal is not to offend with how I say things. However, I recognize that merely the topic we are discussing on this episode of Matter of Theology itself will offend as it should. 
My brother, Virgil Walker, who is the executive director of operations for G3 Ministries and co-host of the Just Thinking podcast says this, quote, in this new world, feels and experiences melt away the hard edges of truth. One of my favorite pastors um, and, and theologians, Dr. Anthony Matheny, a pastor of Christ Church in Radford, he says this, quote, nothing angers the self-righteous like being told their worship is not acceptable to God, period, yeah. <laughs> close quote. What you got, bro? Yeah, I, I want a real quick answer, ask and answer the question, why would it anger the self-righteous? Uh, and that's because self-righteousness is all about me, not about God. Acceptable worship to God is worship that is centered on God, directed to God, and presented for God. Uh, our friend Andrew Rappaport uh, told us the story of sitting in front of a worship leader in his church, and every time they played a song, he would point to the ceiling and then point to himself, yeah, asking, is yeah. this song about God or is it yeah. about me? And I think this is a great illustration because the self-righteous want to sing songs about themselves to themselves for themselves. Come on, bro. Amen, brother. Hey, you know, the late Dr. Robert Charles Sproul said this concerning the worship of God, quote, God is never pleased with ignorant worship. Worship must be grounded in the knowledge of God, period, close quote. We must ensure that we are worshiping God the way he designed, not the way we want to. We are not free to recreate the wheel. We are not free to deform what God has already formed and even reformed. However, as there's nothing new under the sun, this has and is still happening. We need another reformation of worship as the seeker-oriented Arminian semi-Pelagian view of worship and salvation is the new Roman Catholic Church of our day. At the heart of, of all reformation is a reformation of worship. This was the crux of the Protestant Reformation, which was a reformation from the corruption and darkness of false worship. The goal and the result of the pragmatic seeker movement is to, quote unquote, go back to the consumer. The problem is they've missed the true consumer of worship. It's God. It's not his elect. And it's especially, hear me, not the lost and unbelieving. The result of this movement has birthed and given credence to those groups who have labeled themselves as ministries and churches when scripture recognizes them as neither. The danger in worshiping God is we think he wants to be worshiped or in taking a quote-unquote normative approach, as we'll discuss, uh, can and most of the time does lead to disastrous consequences. So again, I will have two voices, one for those caught unknowingly in the snare of the wolves and another for addressing the wolves and the shepherds for not doing their job in keeping the wolves out and or fighting them off, i.e. when pastors refuse to say to someone, no, someone like what you experience when you stand for and speak for truth, someone who's pitching a fit like my four-year-old does when he doesn't want to go to bed, minus the cussing, of course. Calling out heresy or, or those false teachers peddling dangerous and erroneous teachings does not bring some sense of joy or gladness to my heart. If it did, that'd be a problem. However, there are clear imperatives in the scriptures to do so. There's a desire to do battle, absolutely. 
but not for our glory or to boast in our knowledge, but that desire is birthed out of a love for Christ, his word, and his bride. Again, to quote John Calvin, a dog barks when his master is attacked. I would be a coward if I saw that God's truth is attacked and yet would remain silent. In fact, let me be crystal clear about something. As someone who has had the privilege and the joy of leading musical worship for roughly 18 years or so on a pretty consistent basis, I used to be one that would consistently play some of these songs. Hillsong was a frequent in the set list I chose in leading many worship services. Thankfully, Bethel never was. There was really only two songs from them that I used to enjoy listening to and to play. No, I'm not going to tell you what those songs were because I don't want you to get hooked on them. Elevation was one that, that was kind of few and far between. And honestly, whenever someone would mention them, I knew there was something awry about both Bethel and Elevation, while at the time I could not put my finger on, on it. But I knew there were red flags. And, and these red flags were firing in my head and my heart. And by the time those groups really started growing in popularity, the Lord had really begun by His grace and the power of his Holy Spirit through the studying of his word had gotten a hold of my heart, and I had begun to see the light when it comes to the theology and practices of these groups, which, to be honest, has been and continues to be a difficult pill to swallow. Look, we are nothing special, Tone Police. There is no special enlightenment or, in enlightenment or insight that we have that others don't. I know that's a question I've gotten in the past. I remember when the Lord did get a hold of my heart on this issue, I was broken and devastated that I had grieved him and not sought to hold to his standard when it comes to how he desires to be worshiped. And this is how we should all feel about our sin. So are we passionate? Yes. Do we get fired up? Yes. Have you heard that? Yes. Will you hear more of it in this episode? Absolutely. Do we do so with all humility? Yes, we are not perfect and never will be. We have our faults as much as anyone else, okay? However, that does not absolve us of the clear commands given in the scripture when it comes to this topic, especially this topic. We are not peddling false doctrines that could lead people who think that they're converted straight to the pits of hell. It terrifies me to think, to think that we could have or ever would share anything contrary to scripture. The goal is the glory in the name of the Lord Almighty. The goal is showing the absolute sufficient, excuse me, the absolute sufficiency of the word of God. The goal is for the purity of Christ's church. The goal and desire is to see God's elect, see all of God's elect, that he would choose to listen to this episode to truly worship him in spirit and in truth. Okay, so in getting into the context, let me just say one more thing. I wholeheartedly believe that the crux of this issue is not the song Reckless Love. I believe by the fruit shown that the issue is much deeper, and I'll seek to show that after looking at the song one more time, one more again. Yeah. What you got, bro? Um, so you mentioned uh, that Calvin quote of having two voices, that yeah. uh, one of gathering the sheep and one of driving the way wolves. I want to add a voice to that. And that is the voice that is to tend to the sheep. And I say that because there are some uh, that do need genuine counsel in this area because uh, right. they, they are um, uh, currently conflicted. They're, they're wrestling with these things regarding Bethel, regarding worship music, uh, regarding ministries that they can trust. Uh, but I also want to say 
that if you're going to come at us and throw a little hissy fit, come with scripture, refute us with scripture, not how you feel, not your opinion, uh, and definitely not being the tone police, right? And, and I know you mentioned the tone police, all right? So now I had a meeting a month ago with a pastor and one of his elder candidates. Um, and it was about some stuff that I had put on Facebook. And I asked him to show me where I was in error, like where the error was. It's almost like the, that meme, right? You post that says, but where's the error though, right? right. And what I was saying, well, there was no error, and since there was no error, he said, well, it was my tone. Okay. Now it's easy. It's easy to assign the tone you want to something, especially if it's written. All right. But if the tone you thought that I was relaying was that of a boot to your face, then you probably needed a boot to the face. Okay. So if you don't want a Tony boot to the face, then don't ignore the gracious whisper in your ear. Okay. Now, if you're listening to this and you're thinking, wow, I don't like their tone. It sounds like they're hitting me in the back of the head. Well, then you probably need to get hit in the back of the head, honey bear. Okay. Cause if the shoe fits, then lace it up. And if you don't like the way it looks, take it back and get a new pair. Okay, sometimes the most loving thing that someone can do is hit you in the back of the head, Denozo. All right, but political correctness has two sides to a coin. Okay, uh -oh. what you say and how you say it. Uh -oh. The tone police is just the other side of that political correctness coin. Okay, now I know that was a little harsh, but I learned from a pastor that it's okay to be an equal opportunity offender. Okay. And it, I do find it really funny that the people that say that um, then get offended when they're on the receiving end of it. But, bro, let's get into this already. Yeah, sorry, that was that was long winded, but I feel like it was uh, laying some some good foundation. Um, so, uh, so, so, hey, <laughs> that was man. a long intro. <laughs> That's the introduction. Yeah. So, no, but you know, I, I mean, I, I mean, we really, we really dug into this. Um, uh, in the previous episode. So, so go, go, go take a listen to that. Um, you know, I, there, there are definitely a few things, um, you know, that I want to say, um, uh, number one, nothing about God is reckless. Nope. Absolutely nothing. Um, there's nothing about God's love is reckless. Uh, because remember you, you cannot divorce God's attributes with his actions. Right. Okay. Um, say God's love is not reckless. To say that God's love is reckless um, is is saying that God is reckless. You cannot divorce them. Right. Um, and, now, and just just for a point of context, one second. Okay. I, I saw you uh, the, to define this is this is the dictionary definition of reckless. Okay. Mm -hmm. uh, of a person or their actions. Okay. That 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 goes right along with what I just said. All right. Uh, without thinking or caring about the consequences of an action. A couple of uh, synonyms of reckless, rash, careless, thoughtless, incautious, heedless, unheeding, inattentive, hasty, overhasty, uh, precipitate, precip uh, precipitous, impetuous, impulsive, daredevil, devil may care, hello, hothead, irresponsible, wild, foolhardy, headlong, over-adventurous, over-adventurous, some audacious, death, 
or glory, ill-advised, injudicious, misguided, harebrained, madcap, imprudent, unwise, ill-considered, unconsidered, ill-conceived, unthinking, indiscreet, mindless, negligent. That's a long list. Did I miss anything? How dare you, how dare any of us attribute the love of God that has, to quote Valley of Vision, that has justified us by his blood and we are saved by his life. There's nothing reckless about God's love. What you got, man? I saw you, dude, I saw you chomping at the bit. Dude, one of those synonyms that you said, irresponsible. Can you imagine if this song said the irresponsible love of God? What? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, no. come on. No. But here are some other adjectives. I want to give some other adjectives that describe God's love. Okay. First one, you might want to write these down. Okay. Restless. Now, why do I say restless? Because God's love is never still. It does not stop. Okay. Now, along with that is relentless. It is always in pursuit. It is precious. Mm. God's love is precious. Now, why would I say Amen. God's love is precious? Because there is none like it. It, right. his, his love is not like our love. Our love changes, right? right? We have different love for different people, all right? Even, even like, say our wives, bro. Our, our love for our wives fluctuates. Why? Because, I don't know, maybe the bacon got burnt. I'm, I'm not sure. <laughs> but sometimes I love my wife a whole lot more than when she burns the bacon, all right? God's love is always consistent. Yep. Okay. And I, I said that because I know she's going to be probably like one of the first ones to listen to this. <laughs> nice. Um, so those are just some other adjectives that describe what God's love really is. Yep. Absolutely. Well, and, 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 and to move into, you know, to more of uh, more of the, the lyrics of this song, um, you know, God doesn't, um, God, God doesn't chase us down. Do you understand that? Like he knows where I am all the time. He is a hundred percent sovereign and salvation is a monergistic work of God, the father, God, the son, and God, the spirit. It is a Trinitarian work of God. Salvation is wrought of him. He doesn't need to chase me down. Um, what, what again, what a blasphemous view of of, of, of the power of God, the sovereignty of God and the love of God. Absolutely not. He doesn't have to chase you down. Wait, 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 no, come back, come back, come back, come back. Absolutely not. He doesn't knock at the door of your heart. He stands at the door of your heart. He kicks it open and makes you new. That's what he does. And, and, and that's absolutely what you see in the scriptures. That is 110% what you see. If you have your Bibles, and I hope that you do, please take a look at John 6 with me. Okay, John 6 in verse 37, all that the Father gives me, we don't have to be chased down. We are given to Christ by God as a love offering. We, we are his bride. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and out of the one who comes to me, I will certainly not cast out. Verse 39, this is the will of him who sent me, that all that he has given me, I lose nothing, but raise it up on the last day. 
And then if we keep going, uh, John 17, John 17, if you've never read John 17, you need to read John 17. Um, John 17 in verse two, even as you gave him authority, uh, wait, let me make sure I'm in the right place. Yep. Even as you gave him authority over all flesh that to whom you have given him, he may give eternal life. Verse nine. I ask on their behalf. I do not ask on behalf of the world, but upon those of those whom you have given me, for they are yours. We are his. Verse 24, Father, I desire that they also whom you have given me be with me where I am so that they may see my glory, which you have given me, for you loved me before the foundation of the world. God doesn't have to chase us down. God doesn't leave anyone to come after you, me, or anyone else when it comes to salvation. All that the Father gives to me, come to me, and, and the one who comes to me, I will certainly not cast out. John 6, 37, again. That is not what happens during salvation. That's right. I mean, you got, bro? God draws us to himself. Yes. Right? If he's drawing us, then that means he doesn't have to chase us. Mm -hmm. uh, I, I mean, so even even in the Reformed tradition, right, what do we believe about the nature of man? We believe that the nature of man is running as fast as he can towards hell, away mm -hmm. from God. Why? Because he's an enemy of God. That's right. God doesn't chase us down because he knows where we are. That's right. He just reaches out and grabs us and pulls us to himself. That's it. That's it. And and then he changes our heart. That's right. That's and right. That's right. Absolutely. Well, and I have a uh, you know, I'm gonna get into this in a second. I mean, the the, the song, the song also clearly contradicts itself uh between the verses and the chorus. You know, before I spoke a word, you were singing over me, you've been so so good to me. Before I took a breath, you breathed new life in me. But then all but but then it it, it speaks to language of having to chase us down and yeah. leave the 99 <laughs> and 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 I mean it, it, it it's con it's contradictory. It's not true. And of course yeah, so that goes which is it, Corey? <laughs> well and, and that goes right along with Bethel as a whole, mm -hmm. right? They are false prophets and false teachers. We just addressed that in our last episode. They should be avoided. Why? Because here, I mean the, the there's so many reasons we, we could get into, or we're going to get into some of it, I'm sure, but, but there's so many reasons why they should be avoided. And, 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 and this is one of them. Everybody's like, well, well, you know, Chris, the song can stand on its own. No, it can't. The song is heretical. And, and guess what? You can't take the word reckless and replace it with relentless and the song be okay because it's still written by a heretic. It's still written by a false teacher. It's still written by someone who does not believe in the Jesus of scripture. So no, absolutely not. You know, the writer of the song, I just said this, he's a false teacher. He leads other, others astray for sordid gain. He is to be marked and avoided unless he publicly repents. Yeah, but Chris, what if someone tells you he's just an immature Christian? Then he shouldn't be on stage. Bingo. Then you know what? Worship leaders, when you read the Old Testament and when you look at specifically the uh, the book of Leviticus and the requirements for worship leaders, song leaders, their their uh their expectations, the, the requirements, the, the the standards were higher than than the priests. Do you understand that? Here's why music is a vehicle. Music is a vehicle that helps you remember. Music teaches you, just just melody teaches you. I said this when we did the live uh, version of the live podcast with Andrew at uh, Cruciform. 
If I asked everybody to sing the ABCs, I guarantee you the tone would be pretty much the same. You're teaching theology when you're playing these songs. This is why it's important to be regulative principle people. Okay, because now, and, and, and so here's the problem to your point, right? Here's what Corey Asprey says when defending the song. These are his words, okay? Quote, when I use the phrase, the reckless love of God, I'm not saying that God himself is reckless. Well, we just addressed that. You can't divorce the two. I am, however, saying that the way he loves is in many regards quite so. What I mean is this, he is utterly unconcerned with the consequences of his actions, with regards to his own safety, comfort, and well-being. His love isn't crafty or slick. It's not cunning or shrewd. In fact, all things considered, it's quite quite childlike. Pause for a moment. He's the father. We're the children. We're told to have childlike faith. This is antithetical to the character and attributes of God. Can I just say something Please, real quick? <laughs> he is utterly unconcerned Yes. The consequences of his yes. actions. Uh, just in case, for those of you listening, if you're not aware, God doesn't suffer consequences of any of his actions. Do you know why? Ooh, come on, bro. Because he is God. And exactly. everything he does is right because he cannot act contrary to his attributes. There and you go. All of his attributes are perfect. Therefore, when God does something, he can only do it according to his nature. Therefore, he doesn't suffer any consequences for anything. Amen. 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 Well, and, and Asprey goes on. He goes on to say, and might I even suggest sometimes his love is downright ridiculous. Listen to this. His love bankrupted heaven for you. No, it didn't. No, no, it didn't. Bro, the, talk the about presence the elevation of, God, of man right there. Oh, gosh. This this is an improper theology, proper, improper uh, biblical anthropology, harmodiology. I mean, I could keep going. No, this is that's so not true. centered His love <laughs> doesn't... funny. I know. Oh, check this out. His love doesn't consider himself first. Uh, first commandment? H hello? Mm. His love isn't selfish or self-serving. Well, because God's not selfish. But he is self-serving. His number one concern is his own glory. Everything he does is to the glory of his name. Wait, hold on. Isn't God a jealous God? Bro, you, mm -hmm. we're going to get into that. We're going to get into that very shortly. If, if he's not selfish, then how can he be a jealous God? Oh, bro, you just wait. Just wait. Just put a pen in that one. You know, and there's also something else that I want to say as well, and that's because people will say, well, we're not saying that God is reckless. It's just we're how we perceive his love is reckless. Okay, how you perceive God is irrelevant to how Correct. God has oh, revealed on. and defined himself in his word. Exactly. Exactly. Amen. Amen. Uh, he doesn't, going on with Asbury still, uh, he doesn't wonder what he'll gain or lose by putting himself out there. He simply puts, he simply gives himself away on the, listen to this. Now, listen to this in light of everything I just read out of John. He doesn't wonder what, uh, I'm sorry. Uh, he, and he simply gives himself away on the off chance that one of us might look back at him and offer ourselves in return. Hold on. That the, the those two sentences are, are are contradict one another right there. One right after another. Um uh let me find it. Um he doesn't wonder what he'll gain or lose by putting himself out. Of course, because he's the sovereign. He's the all-knowing God. There you go. There you go. He just puts himself out there on the off chance. I'm sorry, you just said he doesn't wonder what he'll gain or lose. 
Why? Because he is the sovereign. That's right. And this is the problem. This is the problem. Uh, let me, let me, let me speak to believers for a second. Okay. As a whole, and I'm speaking to all of us. Okay. Um, we are so, um, selfish and prideful and are so concerned with our own preferences and, and, and because we, as, as J.C. Ryle said earlier, and I'm going to refer back to this a couple of times, because we have a morbid fear of controversy, we have enabled men like this. We have. Instead of saying, no, sir, that is not correct. You are in sin. I sincerely, and, and you know, I said this before in the other episode, and oh my gosh, this is one of the reasons that, that we had to have that meeting. You can't question whether or not someone is, is saved. Well, let, let, let me be clear. Let me be crystal clear. If Corey Asprey believes this about salvation, he is not a Christian. Do you hear me? He is not a Christian. If you, listening to this episode, think that this is how salvation works, you wholeheartedly need to repent, and I, 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 I fear, I fear for your soul. This is not Christianity. This is not salvation. This is not described the character uh, and the love of God. And the last thing, you know, I mean, we could keep going through the song, but let me just say this about Bethel. Bethel's not a church. They're a cult. They propagate, they support, they promote heresy and a lot of it. They, the, the Jesus they believe in and preach is not the Jesus of the Bible. They hold a heretical view called kenotic theory, meaning they believe Jesus emptied himself of all deity. They, they believe that the Holy Spirit can work contrary to the word of God. Um, and the list, I mean, the grave sucking, the list goes on and on and on. We have exhausted on this episode, on this, this podcast, talking about Bethel. We've exhausted it. Okay. So let me, let me, oh, go ahead, brother. Go ahead. Well, I was just going to say, canonic uh, theology is a form of Arianism, uh, and Correct. we've covered Arianism on this show. Uh, it denies the deity of Christ, saying that Jesus did everything he did only as a human man filled with the Holy Spirit in right relationship with God. And um, this teaches that since Jesus was a man and, and did what he did, filled with the Holy Spirit in right relationship with God, that then we can do the same thing. Um, let me let me quote Bill Johnson in his own words so people don't think we're making this up, okay? This is uh, Bill Johnson in his book, When Heaven Invades Earth, on page 29. Let me be very, very clear. Quote, he, Jesus, performed miracles, wonders, and signs as a man in right relationship to God, not as God. If he performed miracles because he was God, then they would be unattainable for us, period, close yeah, quote. That's just more of the elevation of man. That's more man-centered theology. Um, now, the problem, once you start taking this view of the deity of Christ or denying the deity of Christ, you actually run into a brick wall once you hit Matthew 17 and the Mount right. of Transfiguration. That's right. Because that was where Jesus actually reveals his divine nature to Peter, James, and John. Yep. Yep. Absolutely. A absolutely. I, I mean, and uh, Johnson, I mean, he, he, he just goes on and on and on with this. He says this, uh, um, um, and when heaven invades earth, page 79, that the name Jesus Christ implies that Jesus is the one smeared or anointed with the Holy Spirit, period, close quote. And, and of course, he's, he's absolutely decimating um, the, the Greek term of Christ, which is Christos. 
Um, and, and, and he completely, I mean, Johnson goes on to say that Jesus laid his divinity aside. Um, and, and, and this is not true. This is, this is an improper hermeneutic from Philippians chapter two. Um, and let me say this, and, and, you know, the, 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 the gentleman who, who was yelling and cussing me out, clearly he said this to me, you can't tell me that Jesus did what he did. Um, not as a man, he was defending this. People defend people in our own camp defend this viscerally. Well, this I would is I would say they're not, not in our camp. They're just want to be. Correct. Well, absolutely, absolutely. This is Christological heresy. You cannot, you cannot hold to this and be a Christian. Louis Burkhoff in his systematic theology says this quote: uh, "This theory." is based upon a pantheistic conception that God and man are not so absolutely different, but that the one can be transformed into the other. This idea of becoming is applied to God, and the absolute line of demarcation is obliterated, period, close quote. Yeah, and that's, uh, think about uh, Kenneth Copeland and, and Todd White, where exactly. they're talking about how exactly. we have the divine DNA. That's exactly what that's speaking to. Well, and, and Bill Johnson goes on to say in Supernatural Power of the Transformed Mind, page 31, we have the right to become like Christ, our elder brother. We are destined to be fully restored to the image and likeness of God. You hear how he's twisting that. That's, that, that sounds more like a Jehovah's Witness. Yeah. That's what happens when you, when you only view God as an older brother rather than Lord. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, and, and, and in continuing to talk about reckless love and continuing to talk about why churches shouldn't play it, um, let, let, me, let me remind everyone that, that this song, Reckless Love, was released just in 2018. And since then, it's won the GMA Dove Award for Worship Song of the Year and the Dove Award for Song of the Year. Uh, it was nominated for a Billboard Music Award uh, for Top Christian Song. Um, and, and I believe, I believe there are more nominations. Grammy, it was nominated for a Grammy in 2019 for Best Contemporary Christian Song. And, and, and listen to what this man says about salvation. And this is the song that, that, that people are wanting to play from the platform. Pastors, do you understand what you're doing? And I'm going to get it. I'm going to have some very strong words here shortly about what you're doing. But, but, but moving back from the theolo theological piece, if you, if you could remove that for a moment, um, let me remind you that, that when you contemporary churches, when they play songs, if they use a program called planning center, which just about every single ch contemporary Christian church in, in the Western hemisphere uses this website, it's a fantastic website, but it reports what songs are played to the Christian copyright licensing international CCLI. And, and, and when you report that you played those songs, it pays royalties to the writers. So while you may not hold to this theology, by playing these songs, you have willingly contributed financially to false teaching. In, in 2012, I could not find any statistics other than 2012. In 2012, over $40 million was, played, what was paid to Christian artists through CCLI. And that comes through radio play streams, downloads, planning center reporting, and et cetera. So pastors and Christians... You don't need to be listening to these songs in your car. You don't need to put these things in your head, number one. Number two, whenever you stream these songs, you're paying them. Please understand that. 
You are, con- look, look, we get up in arms as Christians, or, or if we're Republicans or conservatives, we get <laughs> up in arms, right? If, if, if Joe Biden becomes the president-elect, he's already said he's going to repeal the Hyde Amendment. What that, what that does is that, that, that now all of our tax dollars goes to funding abortion. Do you understand what you're doing by playing these songs? You're funding. You're funding teaching that will lead people to hell. You are funding teaching that will end up, people will think that they know the Lord. And guess what he'll say to them? I never knew you. Do you understand that? We get all up in arms about funding abortion, and we should. Abortion should be abolished. The murder of children in the womb should be abolished. But guess what? This is spiritual murder. Stop funding it. Now, I, I will say that the same goes for Hillsong. The same goes for Elevation. Especially recently. <laughs> you know, Stephen Furtick. Stephen Furtick teaches things like, like, the only thing Jesus can't do is override your unbelief. He has said those things. God, he said that God broke the law of love for you. Well, he, he broke the law for love. For love. Sorry, excuse me. Yeah. Guys, that's heresy. Yeah. Now you're saying God is a sinner and he broke his own law. Absolutely. Absolutely. No, that is not it. That is not it at all. Uh, no, no, Stephen Furtick is a modalist. Mm-hmm. Yeah, T.D. Jakes is his mentor, or was his mentor. T.D. Jakes, it's been long known that he is uh, a modalistic heretic. Right. I, I mean, Hillsong, you've got, you've got. I mean, the, the, the things that, that they are prosperity teachers, that's what they do. Um, the, the things that they allow uh, from their staff and from their, from their, from their, their, their leadership team is against the Bible. And look, I'm, I'm, let me, let me, I'm going to quote this verse of scripture here. And, and, and please hear me, okay? This is 2 Corinthians 6, 14. Paul says this, do not be bound together with unbelievers for what partnership have righteousness and lawlessness or what fellowship has light with darkness? Corey Asprey, if he holds to these views, is not a believer. Bethel is not a church. Do you understand that? Paul says, do not be bound with unbelievers believers. This is a theological issue. This is not a preference issue. This is not an attempt to to absolutely vilify everything that comes from Bethel. This is a tier one first priority theological issue. This is a gospel issue, hands down. If we don't worship the true God based on the truths found in the whole of scripture, or we worship the true God in a way that is based upon our preferences, we have molded a calf that we call Yahweh that is really an image of ourselves. We could be in danger of eternal hell, all the while saying the words that we hear, all the while hearing the words said from Jesus in Matthew chapter seven, Lord, Lord. I'm sorry, excuse me. All the while we say that, we say that to Jesus. Why? Why does this matter? I I heard this quote and I don't know who said it, but I'm quoting it. (laughs) Quote, people will sing their heresy before they believe it. In fact, let me be clearer. The whole of the modern evangelical church, not just in this country, but as a whole is sick. And they've allowed it to be done to themselves. They've been infiltrated by wolves that have infected Christ's bride with a disease. And dare I say it's a venereal disease as they have joined themselves with harlots bent on prostituting the bride of Christ for sordid gain. 
They, those wolves, have infected Christ's bride with the doctrine of demons disguised in songs, analytical tools based upon CRTI, and etc. And the reason I say that they've allowed it to be done to them is this. These wolves have been invited in by so-called leaders and shepherds who are nothing of the sort. There is a sincere lack of biblical courage and leadership from those who have been who have given themselves the name of pastor. Those, those who, as J.C. Ryle said earlier, have a, quote, morbid fear of controversy, close quote. And, and when those wolves peddling this damning teaching are found out, those in the church still accept them because of, quote, unquote, unity and peace. There are still so many who refuse to because of, quote, erring on the side of grace, close quote, to call them out, hold them accountable, and or seek to protect and equip their flock to be alert or to be on guard or to watch out or to stop. Even if you like it, stop. This infection has been brought in through the songs that sound good and that stir emotion instead of songs that are either inspired by the Holy Spirit, the Psalms, or songs written by those who choose to stand for truth. These songs that, that we're talking about are written by wolves with the mind of their true father, the devil, promoted by goats and accepted by gullible sheep. Now, I say that in the light of a few passages of scripture. John 8, 44, and then Colossians 2, 8. John 8, 44, you are of your father, the devil, and you want, you want to do the desires of your father. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. Whenever he speaks a lie, he speaks of his own nature, for he is a liar and a father of lies. That's what these wolves are. And we as believers are to, as Colossians 2.8 says, to see to it that no one takes you captive, plunders you through philosophy and empty deception according to the tradition of men, according to the elementary principles of the world rather than Christ. What you got, bro? Yeah, you know, the wolves aren't just being invited in, okay? They're being ushered in and given a nice cushiony seat right where the sheep are. Uh, and I would really hate to be the pastor who has to stand before God and give account to why he didn't stand up for sound doctrine, the protection of the body, and the purity of the gospel. Now, I, I do want to say, because there is a lot of talk um, – regarding some of these songs and emotion and how it makes us feel and things like that. Uh, I, I, I want to say, because some of us in the reformed camp, we can tend to be rather stoic about things, right? Not showing any emotion, but emotions are not a bad thing. Uh, our emotions aren't the enemy. It is actually very good for us to be moved in our worship, even to the point of tears, when we realize who it is that we're singing to and giving Amen. glory Amen. to. Amen. Come on. Uh, but we do need to make sure that we are not led by our emotions. We need to make sure that we are in control of our emotions. We can't just let a nice uh, rhythm, a melody or something get us caught up in nonsense. Mm. Uh, we need to actually understand what it is we're singing and why we're singing it. Right. That's, I mean, yeah. Think about hymns, think about solid theological hymns, right? You read those words and what is it supposed to do? It ministers to us mm -hmm. because of who God is, who we're singing to. What are we singing about, 
right? His nature, his character, right. what he does. And so when we sing, we're ministering to others about who God is and right. his nature and his character, but then other people are also ministering to us as well. That's right. That's right. Well, that, that, that's, that's Colossians 3.16. Um, you know, which, which, uh, which we'll get into a little bit later as well. Um, but, but that's exactly what that is, 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 is that right, right there. Um, that, that precisely what that is now, you know, worship, worship is not primarily about you, me, or any other depraved person on in God's world. It's about him worship in any way, shape, or form that is based upon our preferences is not worship of the triune God, but a worship and a focus on self, which is exactly why we needed his wonderful work of regeneration in the first place. We are born with a bent on worshiping ourselves above everything else. Take a look at the majority of, of evangelical worship services on any given, Lord, given Lord's Day gathering or lack thereof, really, to be honest, and notice the environment to which they worship. How, you know, the, the songs uh, that they're singing, the, 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 the lights are, 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 are out completely. You can hide in darkness. Dude, I love in uh, the Strange Fire Conference, I think it was, where uh, John MacArthur said, yeah, turn up the lights, you know, white light bulbs, you know, so yeah, people can yeah. see. Absolutely. Well, I mean, and, and, and notice how people worship and the songs that they use to worship the God of the universe. Where's the reference? Where, where's the reverence? Where's the awe? Where's where's the deep theological truths that incite, as Drew was just saying, a wondrous and genuine and heartfelt expression that should leave us pulled between terrified with fear and overjoyed to be in the presence of the God who made the universe with the breath of his mouth and has saved us by the shed blood of his begotten son. Where is the true biblical singing? Where are the true biblical sacraments? Where, who is the object of worship? The lost, the world, or the thrice holy God? Yeah, what makes our worship meaningful is the object of our worship. Absolutely. Like, and, and, and look, brother, I would argue this. I would argue that this type of self-worship that is, that, that is based upon our preferences is a direct violation of the second commandment. As, as we have lifted the image of self as the image of God above the one true and holy God, we have car and I mentioned this earlier, we have carved our own pride into a false image of, of, of the one true and holy God. And, and this is what Thomas Watson would call superstition. So Thomas Watson in his great work on the Ten Commandments said this, quote, superstition is bringing in any ceremony, fancy, or innovation into God's worship, which he never appointed. It is provoking God because it reflects much upon his honor as if he were not wise enough to appoint the manner of his own worship. Wow. He hates, <laughs> right? He hates all strange fire to be offered in his temple. And that's from Leviticus 10.1. A ceremony may in time lead to a crucifix. Those who are for altar worship and will bow to the east may be in time to bow to the host. Take heed of all occasions of idolatry, for idolatry is devil worship. If you search through the whole Bible, there is not one sin that God has more followed with plagues than idolatry. The Jews have a saying that in every evil that befalls them, there is an ounce of the golden calf in it. Hell is a place for idolaters. 
And then he quotes Revelation 22, 15, outside are the dogs, those who practice magic arts, the sexually immoral, the, more, the murderers, the idolaters, period. Oh, I'm sorry, one more, one more. Um, uh, uh, Cynesis calls the devil a rejoicer, a rejoicer at idols because image worshipers help to fill hell. That's Thomas Watson. Did you hear what he said? As if God were not wise enough to appoint the manner of his own worship. He hates all strange fire. Now, did you know, and, and Watson mentioned this, that the most, that the most frequent seen sin in that is mentioned in the Old Testament is, is the sin of idolatry. The golden calf wasn't an image of an unknown God, but that of the Israelites carving and forming an image of, of what they thought God to be like. What was the name of the golden calf in Exodus 32? It was Yahweh. The golden calf wasn't an image of an unknown God. Again, it was an image of what they thought God to be like. Now, Watson, again, he well, reminds before us. You, but, but before oh, go ahead, you go, go ahead, there, go ahead, go ahead. Uh, think about that. Now, keep that in your mind. But now think about John 4, right? Where right. the woman at the well. Yep. What, what does the woman say about about the Samaritans and the Jews. You worship here, we worship here. But then God, Jesus says what? He says, you worship the God you don't know. There you go. Right? Because in their mind, they're worshiping who they think God to be. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, and, and, and to your point, you said this earlier, um, Watson reminds us uh, in, in that very section where he's talking about the, uh, in the Ten Commandments there, uh, he reminds us that Exodus 34, 14 tells us that the Lord, whose name is jealous, is a jealous God. And you mentioned this earlier. And, and that has both positive and negative results. On the positive side, he's jealous for his people, that we are precious in his sight, the apple of his eye. And from the negative, he's jealous of his people, that they shall have no other gods before him. So Watson says this, quote, let us give God no just cause to be jealous. A good wife is to be so discreet and chaste as to give her husband no occasion of jealousy. Let us avoid all sin, especially this of idolatry or image worship. It is heinous after we have entered into the marriage covenant with God to prostitute ourselves to an image. Idolatry is spiritual adultery, and God is a jealous God. He will avenge it. Oh, remember, God is a jealous God. Better move your parents to hatred than to move God to jealousy. Their anger cannot do so much hurt as God's anger, period, close quote. And this, look, this is tragically what most pastors and worship leaders and churches do on every single Lord's Day. And this is what we do when we seek to approach the creator of the universe and tell him how we are going to worship him, i.e. by songs written by false teachers, false churches, and practices not clearly expressed and shown in the scriptures, instead of following the perfect word of God in our worship of him. W. God, uh, Robert Godfrey, Ligonier Teaching Fellow, says this, quote, People come to church wanting an experience and seeking the kind of music that gives them the kind of experience and feeling thereafter. It's not that experiences and feelings are altogether wrong, to your point earlier, but if my main reaction to the experience of worship is how I feel in response to music, I've been distracted from Christ. I've not really been drawn to him. I think that you could make the argument, this is still Godfrey here, you could make the argument for many modern church music has become a new sacrament 
and they think they can find God through music. Yeah. Uh, James White says often, he says, what you save people with is what you save them to. There you go. Uh, and, and that plays directly into here because people will leave churches because of the type of music they don't they oh, don't play the type of music that i like therefore i'm going to go find the type of music that i like right 100%. Uh, according to godfrey's uh quote here they Absolutely. think they can find god through the music mm-hmm. yeah well aw tozer said this uh quote and man if he if he could see today he would know how absolutely spot on he is quote it is now common practice in most evangelical churches to offer the people, especially the young people, a maximum of entertainment and a minimum of serious instruction. It is scarcely possible in most places to get anyone to attend a meeting where the only attraction is God. One can only conclude that God's professed children are bored with him, for they must be wooed to meeting with a stick of striped candy in the form of religious movies, games, and refreshments. Or Any Xboxes. Ob- yeah, oh, amen. Any objection to the carryings on of our present golden calf Christianity is met with tri- the triumphant reply, but we're winning them. And winning them to what? To true discipleship? to cross-carrying, to self-denial, to separation from the world, to crucifixion of the flesh, to holy living, to nobility of character, to a despising of the world's treasures, to hard self-discipline, to a, a love, to love for God, to a total commitment to Christ. Of course, the answer to all these questions is no, period, close quote. You know, if I was a charismatic... I'd say he was a prophet. He was a prophet, but not in the way the charismatics <laughs> think. It's called discernment. So anyway, it, it, look, if, if we don't worship according to his word, then we're showing an action that we don't love God, but that we indeed hate him. As we have elevated our filthy rags of personal preferences up as an offering of worship to a holy and pure God. And we do this all the while not lacking any zeal whatsoever which always has disastrous consequences. Back to Watson, quote, let us not be among God haters. First, and he quotes 1 John 5, 21, little children, keep yourselves from idols as you would keep your bodies from adultery, keep your souls from idolatry, take heed of images. They are images of jealousy to provoke God to anger. They are damnable. You may perish by false worship as much as by scandalous sins. You may perish by image worship as much as by drunkenness and whoredom. A man may die by poison as much as a pistol. Period. Close quote. And, and, and we, we see these consequences throughout Scripture. Genesis 4, the first murder took place as, as a result of false worship. We've mentioned Leviticus 1, Nadab and Abihu, strange fire. Leviticus 10.1, right? And, 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 and look at what bringing innovation does to worship. It consumes people with judgment that the mercy of God, unless he chooses, will not acquiesce. We should be on our faces praying to God that he would lead God and direct us as to what is of first importance when it comes to our worship in the church. Mm. What you got, bro? Yeah. You know, I'm just, I'm sitting here. We've just gone through this whole thing, right? Talking about Bethel, 
talking about heresies, uh, talking about true worship, what the Bible says, uh, people's reactions when we come against places like Bethel, uh, which, by the way, demonstrates that they don't even read their own Bible. They don't study their own Bible. Uh, that's a problem. Because they but, hear the voice of the Lord outside of the Bible, Drew. Yeah, I doubt it. <clears throat> you hear a voice, all right. Yeah. Uh, it's one of those, probably one of the many in your head that you need to have silenced uh, with some medication or something. I'm, just, I'm just saying. But, uh, you know, we're, we're talking about all these heresies, and especially the song and how unbiblical the song is. And I'm just thinking, people want to make that into a movie. Right. So now reckless love leads to reckless movies. And we've already seen what Hollywood does when it gets when it gets actual Christian stories out of the Bible and tries to remake them. They make them stupid and terrible. Right. I, I mean, the King Ginger himself. OK, Marcus Pittman. He has said often he has said Christian movies shouldn't suck. Well, they shouldn't suck, but they also shouldn't be heretical either. Mm-hmm. so well, here's here's what we should do and i know you're going to go in and, and, and wrap this thing up yeah christians believers in the lord jesus christ the one who has saved you know his word mm-hmm. study his word Old Testament and New Testament. Now, if you want a great episode on why you should study the Old Testament, I'm going to defer you to our friend Kat Cooley, uh, the Biblical Woman podcast, because our friend Dave Jenkins was also on there talking about why you should study the Old Testament. And it was amazing. It was awesome. Yep, yep. So you need to study your Bible. You need to know your Bible so that when false worship and heretical songs want to make their way into your church, you can stand up with a backbone and say, I don't think so, Daddy Bear. That ain't going to happen here. Okay, we're going to put our foot down and we're going to say no. Amen. Amen, brother. You know, it's we don't have the right to approach our creator and seek to worship him on our terms. We, to do so is an egregious, blasphemous act that profanes his name and his word. I mean, who do you, seriously, like, here's the question. Who do you think you are yeah. to approach God in any other way than what he said? Okay, <laughs> this is what really ticks me off about normative principle people. And I know I was going to turn it over to you to close things, but this is, this is kind <laughs> of what, this is what makes me mad. When you talk about worship, right, and normative people, normative principle people, they always go, well, okay, as soon as you hear, well, get ready to dodge the monkey poo that's about to come flying at you, okay? Because it's going to be a load of crap just for them to do whatever it is that they want to do that God doesn't, that, that God's not pleased with, that, that is really not even acceptable to God because it's not what he has said. If God wanted it to be that way, he probably would have put it in his word. Let, okay? let me ask, here, here, here's a question. Here's the litmus test, ready? Can I open a bulletin or order of worship and defend everything in our services and what our churches do by the word of God? 
Yeah, that's a good. Rightly, yeah. rightly, rightly, rightly. Yeah. Not, 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 not having to it. Yeah. Not twisting it. Not uh, having not to go. Going, well, not going well. It's not in there, it, so I can do it. Yeah, I mean, it doesn't. Absolutely. not say to do that. Absolutely, absolutely. So. No, 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 no. Absolutely not. Absolutely not. It, it, it look, it, it's time to put God back where He's supposed to be, and that is central. Central to the in in the times that we gather to worship Him in spirit and in truth that's where you have much assurance of fruit and blessing. The, the worship of the thrice holy God is never to be nuanced. And by seeking to hold to anything normative, when it comes to how we worship the God and creator of the universe is exactly that. It's nuancing it. It's attempting to nuance how he is to be worshiped. And this is not necessary. This is sin. This is a sin of epic proportions. And, and it's even worse when we join ourselves, remember 2 Corinthians, in unity to those organizations and people who hold a heretical view of Christ, his word, and how he is to be approached. You know, often you'll hear people say, uh, well, hey, man, don't, don't throw out the baby with the bathwater. There's no baby in this bathwater. It's just toxic right. water. Yeah. <laughs> the, the, eat, the, there's eat, none. eat the meat and spit out the bones. Yeah, but there, rancid no, meat's no still going to kill you, dog. Exactly. It's poisonous meat. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, so a couple of things and in, in, in wrapping up, there's a couple, uh, one, one more, uh, one more quote, or two more quotes that I wanted to share. Uh, and then I wanted to, to, to read uh, something out of Valley of Vision. You know, pastors, there, there's a problem. Why are you so cowardice? Why is it so hard to stand for biblical truth? Whose approval do you really want more? God's? Your people? Church planning networks? The world's? There's no biblical warrant for unity with evil and darkness. It's quite the opposite. Open your eyes. Brothers, repent before it's too late. I would like to quote my brother, my friend, my, and, and theologian. I would call him, and I, I told him this today, I would call you a modern-day Puritan, brother. Daryl Harrison, uh, the dean of social media for Grace to You and uh, the teaching and preaching ministry of Dr. John MacArthur and host of the Just Thinking podcast, in his latest episode, episode 106 of Biblical Exposition of Unity, said this, quote, when you scan the landscape of... Uh, when you scan the landscape of what passes for evangelical Christianity today, particularly in America, many pulpits are populated with applause pursuing man pleasers as opposed to holiness pursuing God pleasers. The worship services, if you can call them that, are catered to the superficial and worldly tastes, whims, and felt needs of people out of a desire to bolster their numbers and not from a desire to do what honors and magnifies God. Their true heart's desire, if they were honest, is to exalt themselves in the eyes of the world so that they are celebrated and affirmed by the culture rather than by God himself. And the reason they do that is they're cowards. They're not willing to pay the price for carrying a cross, a price in many instances that means total anonymity and total insignificance for them in the eyes of the world, but they can't live with that. They can't live without recognition and accolades. They're neither content nor willing to wait on God to reward them in heaven, so they seek their reward here and now, which, more often than not, consists of temporal and passing adulation, commendation, and ego-stroking of the world. 
Consequently, they call for unity under the false uh, under the false pretense that Christians are to remain silent in the face of that which is abjectly and objectively evil in society and sell ourselves in an exchange for the mirage of false peace that is a mile wide and an inch deep, period, close quote. That is not your calling. Your calling is to shepherd the flock of God among you. Your calling is to preach the word in season, out of season. Your call is to have those two voices and to, to, to gather, to tend to the sheep, and then to fend off the wolves. You've been given a stick and a sword in the word of God. Man up and use it. Now, Our God is a singing God. God's people have always been singing people. Dr. John MacArthur pointed out once that, that Christianity is the only religion that sings. You know, I do want to add something to that, Go ahead. that you Go just ahead. said, that we're a singing people. Um, <clears throat> for those who don't sing or who have never done musicals or anything like that, when you sing... Because we, as God's people, are created to sing. Now, when you sing and you sing properly, right? You sing from your diaphragm, proper breathing. Uh, it actually lubricates your vocal cords. Correct. So that you can continue to sing. Isn't it amazing? That, and let me, I will say this. One of the worst things you could ever do for your voice is actually whisper. Yeah. That's yeah. one of the worst things yep. you can do. Yep. Yep. But singing lubricates your vocal cords because, and I think it's amazing that God created us in such a way that we can do that task, that we are supposed to do that task. Why? So that our vocal cords will continue to be lubricated so we can continually be singing praises to him. Amen. Amen. So, so how then are we to worship? All right. Um, Dr. Scott Anniol, who's the associate professor, professor and director of doctrinal worship studies at Southwestern Baptist Theological Seminary, says this, quote, the spirit of God always works through the word he inspired. Therefore, truly spirit led worship will always be word driven worship. We always must remember that. Um, that, that we are, uh, we are called, uh, Colossians three is, is a great place to go. Um, um, Colossians three and verse 16, uh, which I mentioned this earlier, um, says this, let the word of Christ dwell in you, rich dwell, richly dwell within you with all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another with all Psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs with singing, singing with thankfulness in your hearts to God. Notice what it doesn't say. It doesn't say, let the experience dwell richly within you. It doesn't say, let this groove or hook or musical melody dwell within you. It says, let the word of Christ richly dwell within you with all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. We need to, uh, just two more, two more things, brother, and I'll be done. Uh, Valley of Vision in uh, uh, Puritan Prayers and Devotion. Uh, that has been put together by Arthur Bennett. You can find it at uh, Banner of Truth. Uh, in the section, Act of Approach says this, quote, Benign Lord, I praise thee continually for permission to approach thy throne of, throne of grace and to spread my wants and desires before thee. I am not worthy of thy blessings and mercies, for I am far 
I am far gone from original righteousness. My depraved nature reveals itself in disobedience and rebellion. My early days discovered in me discontent, pride, envy, revenge. Remember not the sins of my youth, nor the multiplied transgressions of later years, my failure to improve time and talents, my abuse of mercies and means, my wasted Sabbaths, my perverted seasons of grace, my, my long neglect of thy great salvation, my disregard of the friend of sinners. While I confess my guilt, help me to feel it deeply with a self-aberrance and self-despair, and yet to remember that there is hope in thee and to see the Lamb of God that takes away sin. Through him I may return to thee, listen to thee, trust in thee, delight in thy law, obey thee, be upheld by thee. Preserve my understanding from error, my affections from the love of idols, my lips from speaking guile, my conduct from stain of vice, my character from appearance of evil, that I may be harmless, blameless, rebukeless, exemplary, useful, light-giving, prudent, zealous for thy glory and the good of my fellow men, period, close quote. And I'll, uh, I will end with this. Obviously, we've talked about a lot, but again, back to my favorite Puritan, Thomas Watson, quote, let us bless God who has given us the knowledge of his truth, that we have tasted the honey of his word and our eyes are enlightened. Let us bless him that he has shown us the pattern of his house, the right mode of worship, that he has discovered to us the forgery and blasphemy of the Romish religion. Let us pray that God will preserve pure ordinances and powerful preaching among us. Idolatry came in at first by the lack of good preaching. The people began to have golden images when they had wooden priests, period, close quote. May, that, may, may God bless us. May God protect us, lead us, and guide us in how we are to worship him. Christians stand for truth. Be steadfast, be immovable, speak the truth in love, and for the love of God and his word and his bride, reject false teachings and false teachers. Yeah, reckless love is stupid. <laughs> We're getting out of here. Bye. See ya.